Cool. All right. Well, Dan, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Uh, why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to listeners, and then I'll kind of introduce the method of uh, my madness for having you on here. Sure. All right. Thanks, Todd. All right. So my name is Dan Harari. Uh, I currently live in Beverly Hills, California, but I grew up on the Jersey Shore. Um, the funny side story is when I was in high school, I had really long hair. I played the drums and I worked at a little tiny concert hall in Asbury Park called the Sunshine Inn. And guess who used to play there in those days? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so I worked with Bruce Springsteen in 1973, a few years before he was famous. And when I tell people that now, it's, it's still kind of hard to, <laughs> it's still kind of <laughs> hard to believe. But when I, when I tell people I'm from Asbury Park, oh, Bruce, 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 Bruce Springsteen. Yes, yeah, so I knew Bruce Springsteen in 1973. Um, I went to Boston University. I studied communications. When I was there, Howard Stern, the radio shock jock, he was there at the same time. I didn't meet him then. I met him years later in Hollywood. But um, when, when we were at BU together in the 70s, he had a morning radio show, even in college. So he was he's a very consistent character. After college, I moved back to the Jersey Shore and I briefly worked in New York City at Columbia Pictures. I had a friend from college who was in the PR department at Columbia Pictures in Manhattan, got me a job there. And it was pretty interesting, but the, the problem was I lived in the Jersey Shore. I had no money of any kind. And I had to commute four hours a day on a bus for four months to Manhattan and back. And, and I couldn't do it. After four months of breathing bus fumes, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I asked to be let go. Uh, I worked with Brooke Shields during that time. She had a movie called The Blue Lagoon, which was a big hit. Summer of 1980. She was 15. So I knew Brooke Shields and her mom, ter terrible Terry Shields. I was friends with Brooke Shields and her mother when Brooke Shields was 15. And she was very nice. And I've seen her since. And she's still a very nice person. Uh, I moved out to L.A. in the fall of 80. I had friends who were living on Venice Beach from back east. I came to L.A. I was 24. I had $2,000, and that's all I had. I had no car. I had no connections. I had really just these friends. I lived on their couch for a year. And during that first year, I got a series of odd jobs. I knew I, I, knew I was going to end up in Hollywood somehow, some way, but I really didn't how that was, path was going to happen. Um, I had jobs as a gopher. I had jobs as a secretary, as a typist, as a receptionist. I took whatever came along the first couple of years just to get a foothold in Los Angeles. Hmm. I stumbled into PR, really. In, in, in January 84, I saw an ad for a publicist wanted for the Playboy channel, of all things. <laughs> And, you know, and of course, I had, I had just gotten married at the time, so my timing could not have been possibly been worse. But I answered the ad, I got hired, and now uh, suddenly I was the very first publicist ever for the Playboy channel. When it had just launched, I worked with Hugh Hefner at, at the Playboy Mansion a few times. I was friends with lots of the beautiful set of girls. My wife was not happy about any of that, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I was there for a few years. And that's my that's really when I start day one of being a publicist, really. It was January 84. Um, 
I was there for a couple of years. Then I jumped to Columbia Pictures Television in Burbank. It was a major movie studio. That was very cool because I had one of those little golf carts, you know, you see, <laughs> yeah. you know, the little movie stars driving around. So I had a little golf cart. So I drive around and I'd see Barbara Streisand and Richard Dreyfuss and Clint Eastwood and Madonna. And, you know, you just literally driving around and you're waving to the most famous people on the planet Earth. Um, when I was there, I, I befriended Mickey Dolenz, the drummer from the Monkees. He was a director at the time, and he was my childhood hero because when I was 10, uh, I was playing a piano. And when I was 10, the Monkees came on TV, 1966, and the Monkees changed my life entirely. I said, Mom, Dad, I have to play the drums like Mickey Dolenz. <laughs> and I did, and I still do. I don't know if you can see my, my electric drums over here. I do. They look good, yeah. Yeah, I still play drums. So uh, let's see, I was in Columbia for a few years. Then I went to a, a big celebrity PR firm. And at that time, Jay Leno was just about to get The Tonight Show from Johnny Carson. So I was Jay Leno's publicist for two years. <laughs> uh, and I used to hang out with him backstage at The Tonight Show. Very nice guy. Nicest guy in the world. His managers were another story. They were the... <laughs> They were the most evil, horrible, heinous people I've ever met in my life. And Jay was the polar opposite, the nicest guy ever. I was there for a few years. Then I went to another very big PR firm. I was there for about eight years. During that time, I handled major Hollywood events and worked with major celebrities. And then I started having my own uh, following. I started having getting clients that were coming to me. So when I turned 40, 1996, I turned 40. And exactly when I hit 40, God, literally, God literally spoke to me and said, Dan, it's a all funny story. But God said, Dan, start your own business. It came from a chandelier. I was at a meeting, I swear to God. I was at a meeting with my boss and some clients. God spoke unto me from a chandelier. And God spoke unto me and said, Dan, start your own business. And I looked up and I said, okay, I swear that's a <laughs> <laughs> swear to God, that's a truth. And so it's been 26 years. I've had my own company, uh, the Asbury PR Agency. I grew up in Asbury Park, Asbury PR Agency. And uh, it's been quite a ride. Man. I've, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. And uh, so I really stumbled into PR. I'm a very good writer. I've always been a good writer from like sixth grade. So I always knew I'd do something with writing. I didn't, <laughs> I came to LA to be a comedy writer. When I came in, in, in 80 at 24, I literally said, I'm going to be the new Woody Allen. I'm going to be a comedy writer. That was my goal. I tried that for about 25 years. I wrote scripts. I had agents. I knew producers. I was working on TV shows. I never could sell a spec script. I, it just did not happen. For me. The oddest thing, it was almost like the universe was saying, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. You have to be a publicist. Forget, forget your dream of comedy, Dan. Publicist. I'm like, really have to be a publicist? I want to be a comedy writer. It happened to people, a few people I knew became comedy writers. I'm like, how'd you do it? And not me. How did that happen for you and not me? Um, so I've been a publicist for almost about 40 years. Last year during COVID lockdown, I was looking at my 65th anniversary. I was looking at my 65th birthday. It was coming up. And it occurred to me that when I was 15, I met Richie Havens. I don't know if you remember who he was. 
he was um, he was one of the breakout stars from Woodstock, a folk singer, black folk singer. He had a hit song called Freedom. Oh, yeah. And in, so in 1972, I was 15 and I started working at the Sunshine Inn Concert Hall, Nesbury Park. And I met Richie Havens. And a year later, I worked with Bruce Springsteen. So from 15, age of 15, till the age of 65 last summer, I was like, wow, it's been 50 years. 50 years I've been working or meeting celebrities. <clears throat> so I just took out a piece of paper. I wrote down every celebrity I could remember that I met or interacted with or, or, or worked with. And, and there were hundreds. There were so many. And my friends go, you really should do something with that list. I go, I know. I really should write a book. It took me about three months. Last April, May, June, I wrote the book. And after that, I'm like, okay, you know, what do I do now? So I happened to mention to a good friend of mine who is an author. I said, you know, I wrote this crazy book. And he mentioned a company in Florida called Bear Manor Media. He just mentioned it. He said, you know, they do books about Hollywood. I said, okay. <laughs> I wrote a letter, an email cold to the head owner. Uh, I, he doesn't, doesn't know me. I didn't know him. I said, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. I have this crazy book. Here's a couple of photos. He wrote back an hour later, Todd, I swear, here's your contract. <laughs> and, and that was really remarkable. I swear that was a remarkable thing. Yeah. Um, having tried to be a comedy writer for so many decades and failing, and then I became an author in an hour, in, a, in three months. It, 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 it just happened organically. Just, I was very lucky. So the book just came out last week on Amazon. It's called Flirting with Fame. A Hollywood publicist recalls 50 years of celebrity close encounters. And there's a little caricature of me of me on the cover. There's a little cartoon of me standing on top of the Hollywood sign. Well, congrats on the book. Uh, your PR firm sent it over. I've been reading it uh, on my phone. I'm a little under halfway. It's hard to put that book down. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's very sweet. How could the story not sort of captivate readers? Because not only do you seem clearly good at at what you feel you were meant to do, which is, you know, uh, being a publicist and, and having your own own business representing people. But uh, it seems like there's an undeniable. Uh, almost magical factor where you you were crossing paths with people uh, completely inadvertently, it sounds like, long before you were trying to professionally. I mean, how do you even account for such a thing, you know? That's such a great question, Todd. I really like what you just said. Though. Well, the, f- the first couple of years, I was working at a concert hall in high school. So I was meeting, you know, Fleetwood Mac and Kiss and Bruce and Richie Havens and, and, and Mata Hoople and Edgar Winter, you know. Okay, so I was working. But after that, you know, I met Joan Rivers at college, and she told me to move to Los Angeles. I almost met Woody Allen at, at, at the boardwalk because he was filming a movie there. He, I choked. I was so nervous. To, I, he walked right past me, and I wanted to meet him. He was my hero, and I, I was humming, 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 like, you know, Jack and Gleason, humming, humming, humming. So I couldn't, but I could have. He was right there. Brooke Shields in New York in 1980. Um, yeah. It's almost like, I like what you said, magical. I call it karmic. Mm-hmm. It's like my, my, one of my destinies, besides having my children, was to karmically be <clears throat> in the sphere, right, of celebrities. You know, it, it's just, I, I don't really know why. 
I really am not sure why. It just seemed to happen. I once had a psychic tell me I was a, I was a star in the Hungarian theater in 1888. I go, okay, good to know. Good to know. So, you know, it could be a past life thing. I was a famous stage actor 400 years ago in another life. It, it, it's karmic. It truly is karmic. Now, a side note, my best friend in life, we grew up together. He's the owner of a club in New York called The Cutting Room. He and I grew up together. We worked at the Sunshine Inn together. We went to college together. We had bar mitzvahs together. We grew up together. Um, his club is going to be 25 soon. And he also has been meeting the most famous people in the world for 50 years, like me. Lady Gaga was discovered at my friend's nightclub in 2006. Uh, he's friends with Billy Joel and, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and, and Steve Van Zandt. Very good friends with Steve Van Zandt. And, and a lot of major rock stars. And it's just the craziest thing. Me and him, he ended up in New York. I ended up in Hollywood. Uh, I had got married, had two kids. He never got married. His kid is his nightclub. But he also has the karmic thing about celebrities. It's just, so Steve and I, and no one else I've ever met ever in my life, hmm. had this ability to almost be like a celebrity magnet, you know, the two of us. Yeah. You know, I have friends that call me the zealot of Hollywood. I, I think of myself as the Forrest Gump of Hollywood. You know, I just, <laughs> if you remember that movie, he was. Just, in, you know, meeting John Lennon and JFK and, and uh, Elvis, you know, he just he was he just happened to be on these spots at the same. I have kind of feel that way. I'm the Forrest Gump of Hollywood. To, to hear from you, who has been there for the old school stuff, you're still in the business. You've seen technology change and things. And and I've seen some of your in, in briefly researching you. I saw some of your accounts online where uh, I can see you reaching out to people over Twitter and stuff and doing brand new things. And I really want to pick your brain about, you know, um, a big one for, for people is networking. I mean, you seem uh, fearless about when when you do have the opportunity uh, trying to capitalize on it with people and say, hey, can we do something? I mean, where does that come from? Is that easy for you or did you have to learn that? A couple of things. When you said uh, I've seen a lot of changes in technology, Todd, I was around doing PR before fax machines. Before fax machines, okay? So think about that, right? You have a press release, which is pretty good news. There's no fax machine yet. It doesn't exist. There's no digital. What you could do, you had three choices. You could messenger a press release to the LA Times. You could could, um, snail mail it. They'd get it three, two, three days later, right? Or you could read it to the journalist over the phone. Wow. Think about reading press releases over the phone, okay? I did that in the 80s, all right? That's how, that's how archaic and what a dinosaur I, I am. <clears throat> when fax machines came along, publicists were like almost crying, like tears of joy. Like, oh, my God, yeah. you can fax a press release? <laughs> so there were lines, literally, there were lines of the publicists with all their press releases. And we would stand, we had one press, re- we had one fax machine in this whole PR firm. We would stand in line and wait our turn to fax a press release to 50 people, and it would take two hours. Then the next person would come two hours. And so when digital and, and email and all came along, it was, it was miraculous. It's like you could send 
photos on email, you know, because I used to do the little slides. You know, in my day, we had the plastic sleeves. You put the little slides and you press release and you snail mailed it and you mailed it. And hopefully the journalist would call you a week later. Hey, I got your press release. Uh, now it's instant. Yeah. You write a release, you have images, you press send. You can get a call five, 10 minutes later from the New York Times. Hey, yeah, I like your story. Well, let's do something. So, so obviously, of course, stating the obvious, but digital and technology changed everything. Made it easier, made it much easier. Regarding networking and all that, um, I'm not a big fan of social, really. I do it, <clears throat> I'm doing it right now <clears throat> because I'm trying to sell a book. And I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram doesn't get me. I, I have 57 followers. I've been trying to build it up. I can't, I don't know why. I can't get past 57. That's nothing to joke. LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, I have some decent followings. I do that because it's there. It's popular. It exists. I know how to do it. I, honestly, I do it very rarely. Right now, I'm doing it. Like, for example, my... Uh, the color version of my book. Todd, you have the black and white version. Yes. No, are you reading? Are you reading it online, or do you have the physical book? I have a PDF, so it's. I think it's just the PDF of the black and white. No, no, no. If you have the P- PDF, that would be. You would probably have the color, the color oh, okay. photo. Gotcha. Yeah, you're not to. The, you're not to the photo section yet, though. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you'll see the color photos. Last week, Amazon put up the black and white version. Uh, yesterday they put up the color version. I have two versions of my book. I have 48 photos in there. Some are black. The original version is black and white. The new version is color. Um, so I'm using social right now to promote my book. Once in a while, if a client of mine is going to be on Entertainment Tonight or, or they have a big article in USA Today, I'll say, hey, you know, check out my client in USA Today, talking about the new Star Trek movie, whatever. And here's the link. I, I, you know, I have friends that live on Facebook. It's like, they live on, like, what do you do all day long? Do you just sit there? <laughs> I mean, I don't care that you had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. I really don't care. <laughs> hey, it's the 75th anniversary of when I met my husband. I don't really care that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having said that, of course, it's important. Social is part of the fabric of our world. Um, I'm definitely an old school publicist. To me, you get an article in New York Times, People Magazine, Entertainment Tonight, CNN, USA Today, you get, that's hard. That's hard to do. Okay. That takes talent, chutzpah, connection, skill, persistence. If you're going to be a publicist, persistence. If you give up, you'll get nowhere. Uh, a lot of young people today, Todd, they think, oh, yeah, I'm PRing myself on social. Okay. If you're Lady Gaga, social's fantastic. Why? Everyone's going to follow her. She has 500 million followers. She said, hey, my new album's out. One day she'll sell, you know, millions of copies the next day. Someone who never, no one ever heard of has 58 people on Facebook. And it's their brothers, their aunts and uncles, and their best friend. And you say, okay, I have a new album. Okay, so you'll sell 58 copies. You know, social is fantastic for huge, famous people. It's, it yeah. couldn't be better. 
you know, look what it did for Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, everyone, okay, you follow that stuff. Um, So to me, if you're going to promote yourself, you should try to, it depends what your goals are. You could do traditional media, which to me is the most prestigious, because if you have a piece of paper in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the Washington Post and it's in print, you can mail that to your mother, mm-hmm. right? I was in the Esbury Park Press last week online. That's my hometown paper about my book. I told my mother, she goes, what, it's not in print? <laughs> I'm sorry, mom, not in print. What do you mean? I read the print. What do you mean? It's not in print. Oh, sorry. It's only online. Online? My mother does. What does my mother know about? She's 88. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wanted to send her an article from a newspaper that she could hold in her hand. To me, that's 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 hard. That's the real thing. That's the prestige PR. Social, okay, you do that. Anyone can post anything on their social. That's not hard. What's hard is building up a following. You know, you have to add friend, add friend, add friend. I did that with Facebook recently. I built it up to five thousand. People only for my book. I know about 50 people in life. I have 5,000 followers. My friends are going, how do you have 5,000 people on Facebook? I go, I don't know anything. I just have friends because I want people to buy my book. Yeah. So to me, to me, social is, it's, it's, it's kind of a cheat, really, to me. It's not, I don't see a prestige factor there. To me, it's like a necessary evil. You know, a lot of young people, who, who want to do PR these days at a right out of college, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do social. Okay. You'll do social. Right. How are you going to get me into USA today? Let's see you pull that one off. My friend, yeah. get, me, get, get me into entertainment weekly or Rolling Stone magazine. Let me see you pull that one off. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I can do social. So today publicists today are, are not skilled in, in, in the, the hardcore work that really is part of it also a major part of doing pr is writing i'm a a writer i've been a writer my whole life i write i can write fiction nonfiction, comedy and press releases Hmm. a lot of people publicists today they can't write very well so i've seen some pretty poorly written pr things i'm like well you know you should go back to school and learn how to spell maybe i'm like (laughs) yeah um so I don't know if I, hopefully I answered your question. I'm not sure if I, if I did. Yeah, no, totally. And, and something that stands out to me there is uh, you being such a writer yourself, when the little bit of exposure I've had to this, it does seem like to get the attention of a journalist or an outlet you might not have had before, uh, more than information. I mean, you're really selling a story and you kind of have to be able to see what the the grabby hook of that story is and be able to present it to someone and go, Hey, I've, I've found the hard part for you. I got a great story for you. I mean, is that, is that kind of right? That's, that's exactly right. And that's how you described it is, is dead, is dead, right? I mean, that's exactly right. The key to PR is a few things. Just, just when I say PR, publicity, promotion, anything that you're not paying for. Okay. If you pay for an advertisement, in, in your local newspaper or on your radio station or TV station, if you pay for it, you know it's exactly what it's going to be because you paid for it. You're going to have full approval over it, and you know when it's going to run, Wednesday at 3 o'clock on Channel XYZ. 
you know all that. So advertising is a separate animal because you're writing a check. If you're doing advertising, you're writing a check for placement. Publicity, a client is paying me. I'm their matchmaker to the media. So, so the only cost for, for publicity, but I'm going to the LA Times and saying you should exactly tell. Here's my client. Here's who they are. Here's why they're, they're different. They're unique. They're special. What they do, no one else in the world does what these guys do. And here's why you should write about them. Here's why your audience would be interested. It's, it's called a pitch. In PR lingo, it's called a pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, you probably got a pitch from my publicist. Hey, you know, would you consider Dan Harari as a guest? Here's who he is. That's a pitch. And yeah. you picked up on it. Um, I do that 100 times a day for 40 years. So you're suggesting a story to a journalist or an editor or a TV reporter or a radio announcer. Here's why you should consider this person, because here's what they do that's different. Anyone that wants to, and like in your world in gaming, I've done some PR in gaming. Not a lot. I'm not proficient in it. Some of my clients do... um, Many of my clients have done movie, major movie trailers and TV promos for the biggest films and the biggest TV shows. Here and there, they'll do a, um, a video game, not the video game itself. They'll do trailers for the video games. Mm-hmm. So I have to come up with a list of the video, video game media outlets. <clears throat> I'm not proficient in that in your world. I'm not proficient. But the basic principles of PR are the same. What do you have to say that's different, unique, new, brand new, and unusual? Why are you sexy? Why are you different than the next 500 people that do what you do? That's your story. And if either if you do it yourself or you have a publicist, then you go to media. You go, okay, game development weekly, whatever your trades are, whatever your game outlets are. I don't remember them offhand. What you do is um, you go to the website, it's not hard. You go to the websites, you look for contact, contact. Mo, Larry, and Curly, editor. <laughs> it's either their phone number or their email or their Twitter. You write it down. Then you go to the next outlet. Here, these, here's the three editors at this gaming uh, news website. Okay, you write it down. Once you have your pitch, then I go, you know, dear Joe, here's a pitch. Dear Larry, here's the pitch. You just go one to the next, to the next, to the next. You hit everyone on your hit list. Out of a hundred, you might get you might get twenty responses. Yeah. You know, not everyone. When I pitch the New York Times, one out of thirty times they'll write back. They get thousands. You know, they're getting thousands of press releases and pitches every single day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you said, man, you have to cut through the clutter. You have to see, you know, Joe that. USA Today, you really should think about this, man. No one's written this story. This is a really good story. People should know about this. If you're clever and, and a good writer and you have a good hook or a good story angle and you get it to the right journalist, also it has to be the right day. You know, you don't do it in L.A. I've, <laughs> I once had a major Hollywood event in L.A. The, the day of a major fire in Malibu. Major fires. We were we were expecting Johnny Carson and all these majors. No one came. 
because Malibu was on fire. Like literally Malibu, there's the hills of, of, of LA were on fire. Yeah. Nobody came, nobody came. So me and my publicist, we were drinking and eating all the food because nobody. <laughs> so it depends on your timing. You know, I think I try to do a PR piece the day OJ Simpson was on the run in his white Bronco. No one cares. Everyone's yeah. watching OJ Simpson, right? Yeah. So you need a novel story suggestion. You need a really, it needs to be well-written. You have to find the right journalist on the right day and the right time with the right hook. And those things, if you do a hundred, some of those will line up. It's, it's really a numbers game. You have to yeah. try and you keep, don't you ever give up. You have to keep trying until people respond. And then, uh, and Todd, you know, listen, I've been doing this forever. When I get a client, an article somewhere, and I hand it to them, a magazine or something, I still get kind of a kick out of it. I'm like, you know, I, I, I produced this article. My mother goes, why isn't your name on the article? I go, Mom, I'm a publicist. The publicist's name doesn't go on the article. The person you pitched this story to, well, you wrote that. Why do I see your name? I once got a thing on CNN. Major thing on CNN with Buzz Aldrin of, of, of all people, and I'm, I go, Mom, I, I did that. Well, how come you're not on the TV? I go, because it's about Buzz Aldrin at a Apollo Museum. It's not about. Well, why aren't you there? I go, I was standing right there. I'm not on camera, Mom. I. She's I right. Know. It'd be nice. <laughs> Publicist, listen, my book is an anomaly. Really, and, and I'm hoping it's my hook. Publicists don't publicize themselves. Uh, you know, I've, I've known the best, many of the top publicists in Hollywood I've met or worked with, shaking their hands, met at a red carpet. As a rule, there was a few that were famous because like the, the lady that handled Tom Cruise, Pat Kingsley, she was very well. There was one named Ronnie Chasen who was well known. She was murdered. Her murder is still unsolved. I worked for some major publicists along the way. But as a rule, our goal is to get our clients the spotlight, not us. The fact that I wrote a book about 50 years working with celebrities is an anomaly, you know. So when I'm pitching it out, like I'm trying to get an article myself in the LA Times. And I'm like, hey, you guys have never written about a Hollywood publicist. I'm a, I said, I'm a unicorn. I go, that's not something I've ever seen in your LA Times. You should consider that. Yeah. So... There you go. And yet, when it was time to uh, get reviews and blurbs for the book, I mean, it seemed like Hollywood came to bat for you. You got a really nice word from uh, Mark Summers up front. I was a big Nickelodeon kid in the 90s, so that was exciting for me. <laughs> a lot of people that's had great. really nice things to say. That's great. Mark is one of my best friends. And um, that's funny, Todd, because my daughter, Anjali, is 32, and she loves, like, when I hang with Mark, she hugs him because like you, I don't know how old you are, but my daughter grew up with Double Dare, so. Yeah, She's 36, so same ballpark, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my daughter still gets a kick when, when I hang with Mark. Um, Mark's a good friend of mine, Dee Wallace from E.T. I hmm. worked with her. I saw her two weeks ago at a convention in Pasadena. I hadn't seen her in 30 years. We hugged each other. I got a photo. Dee, Dee Wallace was a friend of mine. Dee Mark is a friend of mine. Karen Richman, who was the new digit, that's before your time. Yeah, uh, she's one of my best friends. So those people came through, and then 
some other people, my colleagues, publicists, writers, people I've known and worked with. You're right. The people I asked for quotes, they came through quote. That was very sweet. It's uh, it's cool because obviously the writing is full of such fantastical stories, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, Listen, and everyone. I'm going to need you, Todd, I'm serious. I need you to, to read it. Would you write a review for me? Oh, happily. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can send it to my pub, seriously, because I will use it in PR, because some of the things you're saying are just wonderful for me to hear. You're the first live person I've talked to that told me any of these things. Well, you need to hear it. And uh, I'll go a step further. Your, your PR team's very good. I, I hear from those guys regularly and... As you know, it's a little bit outside my normal content, and I've I think I've spoken with several of their their clients. They do good work, you know. It's it's important to find those people who know what you're describing. They seem like they're doing it pretty well, right? So far, so good. We just started last Monday. I mean, literally, it's been a week and a half. I met the owner of that PR firm last year because she. I'm going to hire. All right. So I have a book. I have three more books coming out in the next two years. The fourth book that she's going to do PR for is about my friend's nightclub in New York, the cutting room. So I met her there last fall at the cutting room. And uh, she's a very good publicist for independent authors. That's her forte. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I like what you said because I'm paying them some pretty good money. So good. That, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that they're doing right for you. That's good. It's and that's part of it. Like it is a big decision to bring in or to uh, sort of offload PR onto an expert, and it's the same sort of thing I see in this field. People have to decide whether to work with a publisher who's going to do that or try to do it themselves, and um, it's it's a big deal. I think people should take it seriously and look at the work that someone's already doing. What have they done for other people? But um, it, you know, if I had a big project like that, obviously I did a, a small book of my own during COVID and it was such a small thing. I just self-published it. It was a podcast spinoff. But if I really wanted to take a run at it, that'd be very important to me too. I would absolutely go to an expert because, you know, what do I know? I'm brand new to all this. So, uh, right. Big, right. Big and, deal. and yeah, I agree. With you. And, and Todd, there is a, a couple stories. There's a prestige factor. If, if, anyone has a publicist and the publicist is calling media on behalf of the client, the media will be, okay, they have a publicist. They must be doing something right. You know, they have a publicist. I thought about, I could PR, I could, I could be PRing myself. I've been doing it forever. I, so I, and I'm doing it in Los Angeles because I know people here personally, mm -hmm. but I said to myself, I, I don't want to beg <laughs> The Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper. Hi, I wrote a book and I'm a publicist. Can yeah. you please help me? There's no prestige factor. It's awkward. I'm going out with hat in hand. You know, for your book, I don't know when it came out. Was it last year? This year? It was last year, yeah. If you had hired a, 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 even, even a minor publicist for, I don't know, I mean, fees range. They could range from 1000 a month to 15000 a month. Depends kind of heavyweight person you're going after hmm. or firm. But a publicist who represents an author, an artist, a musician, a singer, an actress, a rock band, whatever. Publicist is it's a step more prestigious than you calling uh, the Kansas City Times and begging. So I, there's no way I was going to do that for my yeah. book. Yeah. Um 
this is kind of funny. I have a I have a first cousin who's a world famous magician. He's literally, if you if they were done, if you Google him, Franz Harari. He's a world famous magician. Michael Jackson discovered him in 1984 when my cousin was in high school. That's a true story. So over the years, I've done PR for my cousin. He's been in Vegas. He's been in Atlantic City. He's he's huge in Asia and Europe. He, he was like Siegfried and Roy in Japan for years. Um, but over you know, so I'd be pitching Franz Harari, and my name is Dan Harari. So people would say, "Oh, you're pitching your brother." <laughs> I'd say, "Well, no, it happens to be my cousin." But it was so awkward. It was so awkward, you know. If if me or him had had a different last name, it would have been it would have been so much easier. Yeah, it's hard to go hand in hand begging media for coverage. It's hard to do. A public a good publicist has a skin of steel. They won't take no for an answer. You keep you keep trying. If this angle didn't work, maybe three weeks later you go back and say, "Hey, okay, I know you'd want to do that. What if you know? What about this? Or I have a new project coming out. Would you consider this? You got to be persistent." But hiring a professional to pitch you and promote you, if you have the money, it's the way to go. If you don't have the money, then, of course, you need to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, a couple of stories really stood out to me as I was going through the book because um, just because of people we're fan of, fans of here in the house. And the first one was my wife is a huge Jerry Seinfeld fan. <laughs> and so I, was, uh, I haven't gotten through the, the bulk of the stories I think you have about him in the book, but you you meeting him at the car wash is is one that I, I can't wait to tell her about. And uh, the other one is uh, Danny DeVito, because I'm a huge Always Sunny fan. And even I watched Taxi as a kid on like Nick at Night, you know, like I've, I've followed him for a long time. And uh, to hear the the hairdresser story, was, it, it cracked me up. And I, I looked it up. I was like, I can't believe that. Is that something people talk about? And sure enough, uh, it's, people sort of discuss it now. It's very funny. That, that makes me very happy to, you know, really, you are the, you're the first reviewer. You are the very first reviewer, other than my mother, my brothers, and my daughter. You're the really, you know what I mean? You're the first outside reviewer of my books. So. It was it was great timing because we were on hiatus for a while, and as soon as I opened booking back up, I got an email about you and I thought, that sounds great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of Jerry Seinfeld, so the car wash was part one. And <laughs> I don't think you're at the part two when I met him again twelve years later. Right. Right. You didn't read that yet. Not yet, no. Okay, so part one, 1981, is the car wash. Part two, I met him 12 years later. I won't spoil it for you, but that's really the, that's the killer. That's the funny part of that story. That's awesome. You'll, you'll get to it. You'll get to it. And uh, I, I'm glad to hear uh, that you're still playing drums from the early part of the book. It sounded like maybe you weren't. I've, I've been a drummer since I was 10. And so I was like, oh, oh man, this guy plays drums too. This is great, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I got my drums from the, the monkeys from 10 to 12. I watched the monkeys. I, I took drum lessons from me, a major drummer. <clears throat> when I was 12 and a half, I got my drums like an early bar mitzvah present. I still have them. Uh, Sky Blue Pearl Ludwig set 1968. It's a collector's item. I still have them. all the original drums. Um, over the years, I developed a hearing thing called um, hyperacusis. So, so my little brother, who was an incredible guitarist in the 80s, he got tinnitus and he got it very, very badly. He still has it now, 35 years later. So that's the, you know, that's tinnitus when it's the ringing. Thank God I didn't get that. What I have from drumming 
It's called hyperacusis. If I go to a movie theater or some restaurants, or certainly if I'm near live bands, I have to wear custom earplugs because certain high frequencies to me are much, much louder than they would be to the, to an average person. Hmm. My, my ears like amplify noise. Yeah. So I have, (laughs) I have very expensive drummer. You might look into this for you. I have drummers, special custom drummers, earplugs, mm-hmm. and they, they cut out the, the high frequency. Uh, otherwise, I couldn't go to a movie theater. Um, there's yeah. no way. I'd be like this crying. Yeah, uh, and, and time will tell what kind of damage I've done. I did high school drumline. I did uh, jazz band in high school. I've, <laughs> I've been near every loud noise possible. So fingers crossed. I mean, so far, so good. But uh, yeah, I... All you musicians out there, take care of your ears, please. You know, as as, right. think, as time goes on, it gets serious. Yeah, right. I didn't get tinnitus until I was about in my forties, Todd. So, and I'm sorry, hyperacusis until I was in my forties. So, it might show up one day. I was in my kids were little; they're in their thirties now. But kids were little. I was at a birthday party outside, and, and there was an airplane, and the kids were loud, and there were cars going by in the street, and I. I remember I was like, oh, my God, the plane, the kids and the cars and and the, the parents talking, all of those noises were equally loud at the same time. I, I was getting the content for all sources of noise at, at the same level at the same time. And, and I almost started to cry. I'm like, what is that? And I went to a specialist. It's called hyperacusis. You should look it up. God forbid. Yeah. But if, if you if you're at a restaurant one day and someone drops a fork on a plate and you go like this, get your hearing checked because that that you know and sneaky squeaky sneakers on a basketball court, I can't be near that. Or wow. a chalk on a chalk on a chalkboard, I can't go anywhere near that. Huh. It's like it's like nails. It's like nails in my ears. It hurts Awful. so bad. Goodness. <clears throat> but I do play my electric drums. I have headphones. They're electronic rolling. I don't know if you have those too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What's good about it is you can control the volume. If you're playing electronic drums with headphones, you control the volume. So it's not so loud that it hurts you. Good. Well, I'm glad you're able to still do it. Uh, Cause that, <laughs> I mean, what a, what a tragedy. Otherwise that's, that's good though. Um, as, as we kind of wrap up, let people know where they can find you online, find the book, things like that. All right, so uh, my book is called Flirting with Fame. A Hollywood publicist recalls 50 years of celebrity close encounters. Dan Harari rhymes with Ferrari. That's how you say that <laughs> last. It's on Amazon. And if you want to read more about me and my books, my upcoming books, it's Dan Harari. <clears throat> Dan Harari, author, no voice. <clears throat> That's what happens when you get in your 60s, Todd, you'll see. <laughs> danhariauthor.com danharari h-a-r-a-r-y author altogether danhariauthor.com you can read about me and my history you can see all the color photos of me with Spielberg and Seinfeld and Mel Brooks and Kirsten Dunst and, and, and Jack Black and I'm excited for you because you haven't seen the photos if you want to if you want to cheat Todd and look ahead you can You'll see the photos of me with a lot of famous people in the book. I will. I'm going to have to get a little preview of that. And I'm for sure going to go through the rest of the book and I'll absolutely, I'll write it up for uh, my website. I'll send it to you guys run wild. Yeah. That would be great. I, it would 
it would mean a lot to me. And, and you've said some wonder, wonderful things that really touched me and were flattering. And, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> you know, just because I've worked with famous people, I don't have a huge ego. Um, so I'm, I'm basically a pretty humble person. I've been behind the scenes for, for 50 years. The fact that I'm getting any attention right now from anyone is very flattering and it means a lot to me. So yeah, please, please send us something. It's early on. I'm sure I'm the first of many. So, <laughs> so hang in there. Um, cool. Well, thanks again. If you enjoyed the show, please think about hitting follow or subscribe. Won't cost you a thing. And it's a big deal on this end. We have show notes at codewriteplay.com along with articles, news, and other stuff. You can follow us on social. The show is at GameDevPod. The website is at CodeWritePlay. And me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. Don't hesitate to reach out to help us make this the show you want to hear. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.